0: it's Tom. Welcome back to the Boomers podcast. Today, we're speaking with Adrian Uthe of the National Association of Cannabis Businesses. They are aiming to become the good housekeeping seal of approval for cannabis products. That's a big job, but it is necessary. And like the plant itself, it's essential really. So there's lots to learn about that. I want to remind you to sign up for Five Boom Friday. If you haven't, it's our weekly newsletter where we let you know about the latest episodes, about discounts on CBD products and other things that are happening. I also want to say thank you to Danny in Milwaukee, who's handling production and making us sound good. Like all of us, he's under quarantine and uh, looking for the end of this sometime soon. Enjoy the episode. Thanks for listening. This is Let's Talk About Weed, the Cannaboomers podcast, CBD, microdosing, and all things related to medical cannabis for baby boomers. From San Diego, here's your host, Thomas J. Hey, it's Tom. We're back with the Cannaboomers Boomers podcast, and today our guest is Adrian Yuthi of the National Association of Cannabis Businesses. How are you, Adrian?
1: I'm doing great. How are you doing?
0: Pretty good. You know, we're we're still hunkered down um, as we speak. We're, I think, in the early stages of the pandemic, and we're all looking forward to getting out again. But um, it is what it is. So I'm happy you could uh, find time for us to get together and chat about what you guys do. Tell us about the NACB and what you guys do.
1: Absolutely. So, um, again, uh, it stands for the National Association of Cannabis Businesses, but people often refer to us just as the NACB. Um, and we are the only SRO uh, self-regulating organization in cannabis today. Um, and we stand for shaping cannabis into a safe um Responsible and ethical industry. Uh, we do that by partnering with experts in the field to create national standards or industry best practices um, for businesses to follow um, to make sure that they're sustainable for the future.
0: Cannabis products are consumer products, so whether you're talking about CBD or or cannabis itself, there are certain things you want to look for when you're when you're shopping. Obviously,
1: yep, absolutely, and and that's what we're we're shooting for. So we've created uh, some additional uh, some national standards in advertising packaging. Um, We did one on security. Uh, We just passed one on hemp uh, and then the next one that we're looking to shoot for is digital security, um, as far as like banking online, um, and the digital side of security. So we're trying to cover all of the bases that the industry is is shooting for. Um, we try to keep a heavy pulse on the industry as a whole and just kind of understand what, you know, professionals are looking for, what, uh, businesses are looking for, whether that's licensed cannabis businesses or ancillary businesses, meaning folks that help, uh, cannabis businesses themselves and just try to understand, you know, where there are certain gaps um, and just try to, you know, get everyone together in one room to understand what everyone's facing and different challenges that they're having so we can address that um, and come up with these industry best practices.
0: It sounds like a unique challenge. I mean, has there ever in our lifetimes been a business that has gone from zero to 80 so fast?
1: You know what? I would, I would have to agree with you. Um, and, and that's one thing that attracts a lot of people to the space, which is a good thing and a bad thing. I think, um, because it's moving so quick. Um, I think a lot of people want to try to be ahead of the curve, but sometimes that can be to their detriment. Um, you know, at, at a lot of different events that I've been at and different conversations that I've had both with, um, legislators and state representatives, as well as people, you know, on the ground in cannabis, Uh, you know, we look at states like California that, you know, really tried to be ahead of the curve. But unfortunately, I feel like, you know, some of the regulation is a little bit too loose. So it's kind of up to us to pull back the reins a little bit. Um, And, you you know, you also have people coming in, uh, because it is moving so quickly, and they want to come in and make a splash, and be as successful as soon as they can. But again, we need to understand that, You know, this is something that we need to continue to do research on. Um, We need to make make sure that we have all of our ducks in a row and just kind of slow down a little bit.
0: Are you also sort of a a lobbying arm for the industry?
1: We weren't as of uh, or until up until late. So we didn't start off doing that, um, but we kind of saw a gap that we wanted to fill. And that's why we brought on Mark Gorman um, actually very recently, uh, a week or two ago, officially the press release went out last week. Um, and he joins us from Discus, which is a distilled spirits council. Um, and they're also an SRO in the alcohol space. And he spent 20 years on the Hill, um, lobbying for different alcohol issues and things like that. So, um, we brought him on board because we wanted it to kind of take advantage of the industry knowledge that he has, um, especially in the lab, in the, in the lobbying space. And it's, it's worked out quite well for us so far.
0: The elephant in the room, the big dynamic right now is the pandemic, and I guess you could look at this from the perspective that about eighteen months, cannabis went from vilified in in many quarters to recognized it as essential, and 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 yet um, with some of the aid packages, from what I've been seeing, there's not much money going into the cannabis industry.
1: Mm-hmm. And you're right, and and you know I did a podcast last week, and that was something that we discussed as well. Um, I think it's It's awesome that we're we're starting to deem it as essential, but you also have some states that aren't deeming it essential. We actually sent a letter to um, the governor of Massachusetts just pleading with them to take a second look at this. Um, You know, cannabis helps a lot of people in many different ways. And the fact that there are liquor stores open and you're going to close down dispensaries is just kind of crazy um, to at least just not even, you know, take a second look at it. So, you know, it's, I think culturally, it's a positive thing. And it's, it's a bold move. But I'm happy that we're moving in that direction. I think it's helped a lot of people through the pandemic. Um, you know, people rely on it for different reasons that it's important to understand that.
0: Right. Those essential workers need protection, just like grocery workers and, and healthcare workers. So it's good that you have a voice.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But unfortunately, we're seeing though that there, you know, cannabis businesses aren't getting the relief that that other businesses are. I mean, I saw a report this morning, uh, basically saying that all of the money that was going to be put towards small businesses as a, has essentially run out. So I'm not really sure, you know, what the climate is outside of cannabis. But I do know internally that, um, you know, we're certainly not getting the help that we need, um, and it's and it's going to drastically change both the dynamic and the cannabis landscape for this year and next year, I would say. it. Unfortunately, I think that this pandemic has put um, a lot of folks up against a wall. And unfortunately, we're going to lose a lot of businesses because they just weren't prepared for it, um, as a lot of other businesses aren't and weren't. But you know, they did get the help that they need. So um, it's definitely going to change the dynamic in it from a cultural perspective and a professional perspective.
0: Sure. Well, one of the early reports I heard was that sales almost doubled of cannabis I don't know if that's validated, if that's really true.
1: In my experience, it's absolutely true. And it's cool because it's created this dynamic where we have to think outside of the box. And what we've learned is that people love curbside pickup. They're open to it. They love it. Um, And people are still wanting and needing their cannabis. So as far as I'm concerned, and, and this is something that I... Have spoken a bit with others in other industries too, when they say, like, you know, work has, you know, dramatically changed, sales are down, businesses or businesses very different. In our perspective, beyond, you know, events being canceled, you know, larger expos and things like that, inside of cannabis, it's still very much booming. Um, people are still, you know, taking meetings like they normally would. We're just adapting and having webinars and talking on the phone more than we normally would. But as far as the structure of the industry, we're still we're still rocking and rolling. Sure,
0: let's talk about what it looks like for a business who wants to engage with you. What need are you fulfilling for them, and how do they go about becoming a member?
1: For sure. So, one thing that people always associate with us is our medallion. It's the NACB medallion. Um, it's similar to. You know, let's say you were going to a grocery store and you wanted to buy something that was organic, and you and you see the organic seal on the package and you buy it. Um, People that are our members often put our medallions um, in the digital world, whether that's on you know marketing assets or on their website. But other people take a stronger approach and actually put it on their packaging, which is amazing. that's what we like to see. Um, you know, we want other businesses to recognize them as following ethical practices and that they're a good player in the space. Um, and we also want consumers to see those brands and to know that they're dealing with a good brand and that they can trust it. Um, so that's really our goal there. Um, we also kind of bridge the gap. And beyond having this medallion that is very symbolic of you know doing something positive, we also have other tangible tangible benefits that we offer our members to. And that goes beyond um, working with Greenflower and having certificates that uh, different professionals can uh, acquire. I mean, you know, we're building the space from within. So, you know, when the space first started, there wasn't a lot of uh, ways to credential a a professional in the space or someone wanting to come into the space and do well. So, you know, we've kind of created these different educational uh, programs and platforms that people can take advantage of. Um, we also allow people to have a say in our national standards process. Um, you know, we, we talk with the experts first and then we draft these and, you know, give it to the public and give it to our members and ask for feedback. So we very much like to um, hear voices from within the cannabis space because inevitably, you know, there's a lot of knowledge there and um, we'd like to preserve that. Uh, and then we also have um, different NACB events that we have. Um, and we also offer a discount program uh, through Botanico, which basically we offer different um, operational discounts. So it's, you know, a little bit easier to, you know, if you're opening opening a dispensary and you need a bunch of monitors or things like that, um, we can give you discounts on that. So not only do we have you know, the medallion for something symbolic that is, you know, B2B and B2C. But we have all of these other tangible benefits that definitely help folks get off the ground um, and help them become successful quicker
0: couple of things you mentioned there, one was national standards, and i I guess that's kind of an oxymoron at this point where you have state by state you the classic word is patchwork there's even within states it's it's patchwork, so the emergence of a national standard would be a, a really good thing. How do you develop a national standard when there's so many local standards
1: and that's a good question so we really take because we have members from all over all over the u s right so we kind of learn from all of their different experiences and come up with something that is that could be followed by people in multiple states. So but obviously if you're, you know, a member of ours and you have a state, you know, law, you obviously have to follow that first. Um, but most of our standards are they're able to be followed by people in multiple states. Sometimes they're a little bit more strict. Um and it really is following those and being a member, it's it's showing that you're dedicated to something that's something that's, you know, higher than even what we are right now. It's, it's, it's symbolic and it's showing that you're really dedicated to moving the industry forward in a more ethical way.
0: Like for a dispensary, the standards would be different than for a grower. A grower, you would want to say, okay, is it organic? Do you follow the seed to to the table? What's your supply chain look like? Is it, is it cleanly processed? All that stuff, right?
1: yeah and like i said we're we're hitting different parts of the industry too like we have packaging and labeling we have um, lab testing standards we have um you know like I said security standards. so we're trying to hit on all of the different points of the space. One of the standards that uh, that has gotten a lot of attention is the infused um standard because it's kind of a it's kind of a new topic, you know people want to infuse alcohol these days they want to infuse coffee they want to infuse protein bars so um, that one was pretty fun to put together um, but it's it's also good to as the you know industry moves forward to kind of look back on our old standards and revamp them and and really see what the industry is wanting and needing and how it adapts
0: and then from a consumer standpoint, that medallion is kind of like the good housekeeping seal, right you're trying to instill some confidence in the consumer that this enterprise is doing things the right way. Absolutely. And why should the consumer be confident in that?
1: Because they're trusting us and they know that, that people that have the medallion on, on their packaging or represent the medallion, are, they're trusted players in the industry. They've been vetted by our legal team. Um, they've been vetted for a multitude of different things. And um, they're a part of this self-regulating organization. So it's as a, as a consumer, you see the medallion and, and you have trust in that. Um, you know, they're a part of the NACB, you know, they've been vetted and you know that they're a trustworthy brand um, to support.
0: As we've seen this industry kind of explode, I, I'm thinking about the old school kind of underground ethos, uh, which was very different. It had to be different because everything was illegal. And, and now there is a, a profit a legitimate and out in the open profit motive. Do you see any tension between sort of the old school and the new uh, vanguard of, of business people?
1: Um, you know, my first reaction to that is, is yes. And, and I've, I've felt that I've experienced it myself. Um, but I think as time goes on and we kind of all mesh together a little bit more, I think that's going to alleviate, but, you know, as you were asking the question, my first gut is to say, absolutely. Yes. Um, and it's, it's something that, me personally, it, it my goal here is, is to bridge the gap. Because when I first came into the industry, um, I didn't really align, you know, heavily with the old school folks, but I wasn't someone that was just coming in, that wanted to make a quick buck and, and exit. So it's really my goal um, to bridge the gap through speaking from an academic standpoint, from a research standpoint. Um, I have a master's in health communications, and I have a deep Um, motivation to speak to people from a public health standpoint. So when I see states that are like California that are very open with the regulation and, you know, want it to be a little less regulated, I'm like, well, okay, I understand that. But um, we also need to, you know, take our time a little bit and make sure that, you know, we're putting the right laws in place to keep people safe first and foremost. I think that, you know, there's a lot of room to grow here, and, and we're just in the beginning stages of understanding fully what this um, what cannabis can do for people, but we also need to understand that uh, people's health are at risk too, and we just need to make sure that people are safe first.
0: Right. There's a lot of room to professionalize this industry is what I hear you saying.
1: Absolutely, and, you know, it's funny, uh, you know, just attending different expos and talking to different people in the industry, you hear these horror stories that I just – I haven't experienced before, like simple things of people not being paid. I mean, you hear the men, men case um, of of them. They're one one of the largest brands that people know about. I I feel like even people outside of cannabis, you would generally know the men, men name. Um, You know, the look of their dispensaries, you know, that men, men red, you know, that they created this cool space where people felt comfortable of going into dispensaries and they kind of created this, you know, Apple, like, Dispensary and and that's great and I think they did a lot for culture but you hear though that you know they're not paying bills and they aren't paying contractors and it's it's just crazy to hear but you hear that all the time.
0: When I got in into this industry early, there was a flakiness. <laughs> I'll, I'll just say it, um, where people didn't always follow through, and you know maybe that goes with the old stereotypes, but you have to show up and do what you're going to say you're going to do and and um, run it like a business.
1: Correct. And I'm not, and I'm just not sure, you know, where that comes from, but I definitely have it, you know, I said, I I've experienced my, I've experienced it myself, but, um, I think that's, you know, it's an excellent area that we can grow upon. And like I said, I think that, you know, the, the industry is extremely dynamic, but there are things to learn from both sides. There, there are tons and tons of years of knowledge that, we need to preserve, in my opinion. But there are a lot of basic business practices that aren't fundamentally being followed. And, and that's a problem. So again, that's kind of where I try to fit in, because I don't really fit in on either side. And I'm just constantly trying to bridge that gap. And um, And I think it's something that we're definitely going to get better on um, as the industry moves forward, where it's going to go from here, I'm not sure. And obviously, that could change depending on who you speak to. And of course, the pandemic has put all the you know, campaigning on hold. And I'm I'm very curious to see what the cannabis platform looks like for uh, the upcoming election, because I don't think it's been in the forefront that much, um, understandably, but it's certainly going to be interesting to see how, how that moves and shakes as the election pans out.
0: That's a great point. And I think we heard from some of the candidates early on who, who took positions, but again, having it designated as essential and knowing that This helps relieve anxiety. This helps people sleep at a time when they need that. How are we going to treat this? And again, back to the the schedule one designation and what's going to happen nationally. If we ever had a crystal ball, it just got a lot cloudier because of what's going on. But do you have any feel for a national decriminalization?
1: Well, obviously, you know, descheduling it is step one. But I would assume that that would be a part of the, the progression here, um, you know, it, it, with cannabis specifically social justice and social equity is is a huge topic, too, because, um, you know, cannabis and, and the law surrounding it has significantly impacted People and, and it's very interesting to have folks in jail for something um, that is deemed now legal in California, for instance. I know that's a really important topic there, and there are a lot of people advocating for um, releasing those people out of prison. Um, where people stand on that, again, I think it's very dynamic. Um, when we think back to alcohol in the Prohibition days, people that were that were breaking the law then ended up serving their sentences. So are we going to follow that, or are we going to adapt as a society um, and kind of look at the bigger picture here. I'm not really sure, uh, but I certainly know that there are a lot of different social justice and social equity um, programs that people are advocating for. and it's and it's really nice to see people um advocating for those things and raising their voice. and I think and I think they're being heard, um, especially looking at the platform now, deeming it essential in in most states is a big deal. I think it's symbolic for culture. It's symbolic for, um, Capitalism—it's symbolic for the entire industry. So when I when I saw that, and I saw other states kind of, you know, understanding the larger platform here, it was it was really nice to see.
0: And when you say platform, do you mean just sort of the the overall stance of the industry, or, or are you coming at it from the NACB perspective?
1: No, I mean as an industry. It's because it's so young. It's we're we're building it from within and. Um, I think just symbolically for the industry, for it to be deemed essential is a very bold and strong thing. Um, And I think it, it, not even for people within the the industry, but for people outside of it too. Um, It's, you know, creating a trust. It's, you know, kind of getting rid of the stigma. Um, You know, I was raised in Northern Wisconsin and it just wasn't something that we talked about. It was, you know, it it wasn't even something that I came in contact with, um, until I moved outside of Milwaukee and, um, just knowing where people are coming from in, in small rural areas, but being able to have them see the news and see that people are deeming it essential and kind of having them just pause for a second, you know, if they had a stigma that they had in their mind, you know, that's okay. I'm not demonizing them for that. I understand it completely, but I think that just that move in itself is symbolic and it changes people's mindset and, and Causes them to just pause for a minute and be like, "Okay, what is my stance on this? Why do I think that? Can I change that? Um, do I think cannabis could help me? Do I trust it?" It just causes people to ask questions, but I think those questions are good.
0: That's a good point. There's been a lot of social cultural change in a relatively short amount of time. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that if you heard medicinal marijuana, you thought it was just sort of an excuse for people to sit on the couch and get stoned not the case at all. It's a legitimate medicine with a lot of different applications. I'm from Northern Michigan, so I know the whole Midwest skeptical attitude sometimes. It's a legitimate medicine. That's been proven and organizations like yours are are helping to professionalize it on many levels.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it's, you know, sometimes people look at the industry and when we think of legalization and decriminalization, I feel like people have this idea in their head and they often think of, you know, younger people or millennials. It's like we're the ones that are pushing for it. And, you know, but it really, it's, it, it's the elderly. It's the effects that we can, you know, have on our veterans that are suffering from PTSD. It's the research that's being done behind the scenes. But I just feel like when people think of legalization, they're just like, Oh, those, those millennials. When in reality, it's no, it, it's definitely helped, helping older people in very, very meaningful ways. And as more research comes out and as we continue to, you know, change the messaging um, I think that's really uh, sticking in people's minds. I know again, for me personally, I'm, you know, I'm here, I'm here to help bridge that gap. And when I speak about cannabis, I, I I try to speak to it um, from a research standpoint and uh, from a, a standpoint that helps shape uh, shape the cannabis consciousness and kind of change what people you know have already in their minds because I think that some people do hold on to the stigma but it's very important for us to change that through our messaging and our marketing and our advertising um, and the way that we shape cannabis.
0: And in that regard, when our listeners go into the dispensary, should they expect or start looking? to see the NACB medallion on products.
1: Absolutely. Um, and that's you know something that we're, we're constantly looking to build that brand awareness, um, both amongst other businesses and the consumer as well.
0: Let me tell you, I just published a blog post about all the celebrities who are endorsing CBD. And my take on it is, I, I don't know if you're qualified to say if this is good or not, because you've achieved some notoriety in, in one field or another, you're not an organic chemist or a scientist so i look to the us hemp authority they have a the most stringent guidelines that i could find about the production of cbd and i point people to that product will you be having that kind of a certification for hemp based cbd and or cannabis products
1: you know i think we're definitely open to that and we're also always open to working with other people that are Kind of having this same idea of moving the industry forward. Um, I think those conversations need to be had. I love hearing what you just said that you see that and you trust it, and you've done your research, Um, and that's definitely the same vein that we're going in.
0: Okay, I guess we can all look forward to the day where we can look at these products and have some confidence. A few people to me have mentioned to me the blockchain, and. I don't have a a high level of knowledge on that, but I understand the basic concept is there's a ledger and you could track, okay, where did the seed come from? Where was it grown? How was it processed? And and have a ledger that tells you that it was handled by trusted parties along the way. Is that something you guys are thinking about?
1: Um, Absolutely. It's not something that we've uh, explored as far as a standard is concerned at this point. But again, as as the industry adapts and moves, uh, it's our job to keep a pulse on that. And to make sure that we adapt with the industry as it evolves itself, um, and I agree with you on that—that that trust, you know, from from seed to sale. I remember when I worked in packaging, you know, different clients were coming to us with different QR code codes and wanting to be able to batch the products out and make sure that you know everyone is safe and that when the consumer gets it at the end, they see their QR code, uh, they understand that it's been handled properly and. Uh, really instill that trust. So, I think all of these different pieces that we're putting together, um, again, is all for the consumer to make them feel safe and to make them, you know, trust the product that they're consuming.
0: If you go to buy cough medicine, you know, there's Robitussin and, and several other brands. With cannabis, there's so, it's such a complex plant already. I mean, you and I might have a different reaction to the same cultivar. Even this harvesting from the same plant, you're going to have different levels of THC and so on. So, there's many layers of complexity to it. So you guys have a big job.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, but we're, we're constantly trying to build that gap, right? I I always, I can't wait until cannabis is, you know, consumed on the same level that, you know, Tylenol would be, it's very normal. It's like, Hey, you know, you have this, you could have a cannabis product for that, but we have a long way to go until we get to that point. As far as a comfortability standpoint, as far as a trustworthy standpoint um, and obviously a regulatory standpoint, but you know, I very much look forward to the day where it's just, it's, it's much more normalized than it already is. Well,
0: let me ask you what excites you most about what you guys are doing.
1: Well, I, I love coming into contact with all of the different businesses that we work with. Um, for me, um, I'm, I'm extremely extroverted and I love speaking to people and I love hearing about their experiences. Um, like I said, I have a master's in health communications. So communications and messaging is something that motivates me as it stands. Um, but what excites me most is uh, just seeing the different research that is coming out and seeing how that affects the public and, and their cannabis consciousness as a whole. I like seeing raw data, raw data and then I like seeing how it affects the public and their, um, uh, and their consumer buying choices and things like that. So I don't know if that's a really nerdy thing to say, but that's something that it excites me the most. When I see research coming out and then I see how it's gonna be marketed and advertised, that that's what motivates me and gets me really excited.
0: Yeah. That gets to what we talked about, the the professionalization of this industry. When someone like you as a master's in, in healthcare communications comes into this that's what we need to help get this message out to everybody that this is a safe and effective medicine, but you do need to kind of look for things as you're getting ready to consume it.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And we're at the stage where it's just, again, it's, I hate saying that it's so new because in reality, cannabis has been around for so long and, you know, People have been really hustling at this for years and years and years now, but to the general public, I think it is still so new. I mean, I was even at a conference last year um, out in Los Angeles, and it was a very holistic conference. You had economists and pharmacologists and public health professionals and cannabis researchers, and these were people from all over the world. And we had so much dialogue, but it's like, how do you get that dialogue, shape it into a narrative that's... Trustworthy and then have it be digestible to the public. Like there's still so much that needs to happen um, for us to get to a stage where people can speak about cannabis confidently um, and from an educated standpoint. Um, you know, and and potentially buy it in a way that's meaningful to them.
0: Well, what does that outreach look like? When I was a kid, there were commercials on TV this is your brain this is your brain on drugs and generations just soaked up that that messaging and and now we're trying to do a 180 and say you know what this is good medicine
1: oh my gosh i hear you it, it, we're, it's a, it's up to us to shape that and not just us as nacb but us as the industry i mean you think back to the reagan days and just say no to drugs and then now people are like oh wait so cannabis isn't a drug it, it, but seriously those are those are questions that are being asked every day now it's like even when I when I speak to people about what I do, um, you know I, I do get some negative feedback still to this day. Like, oh, so you work in cannabis, so you must smoke a lot, huh? I'm like, oh my gosh, like we're still there, huh? But it's those those conversations, though, on you know on an intimate level. But you know it, it creates it creates a mass impact. Um, but you know I think. Different businesses have different ways that they're doing outreach, you know, whether that's through a grassroots approach or a legislative approach. Um, people are, are are doing it in a different way that's meaningful to their business. But it's, it's really those micro conversations that are, you know, changing into a mass impact. But those conversations need to be had. It's the only way that we're going to change the narrative.
0: Will there be commercials? Will, will there be, you know, wh- where do we look for that message to pop up?
1: You know, we're we're gonna see. It at this point we can't do any of that yet until it's uh descheduled and it's potentially passed medically. Um I'm not really sure. Um and sometimes it, it it varies by state, you know, how you can advertise and how you can market and things like that. But um it it's gonna be an evolution.
0: It'll be very interesting. Adrian, is there anything we haven't covered that we should?
1: I don't think so. Um, Like I said, even through the pandemic and even through Corona, uh, cannabis is still rocking and rolling. I'm excited to see that people are stepping up to the plate and making sure that consumers can still get cannabis when they need it. And I love to see how we're we're just adapting to that. And it's and it's um, it's just awesome to see.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks for explaining the NACB mission and, and your part in it. It's a huge job, but it's necessary. And I'm really glad you guys are doing it. I'll be rooting you on and uh, maybe we'll talk again in the future as you guys uh, make your footprint felt across this country. Thanks, Adrian.
1: Of course. Yeah. Thank you so much.
0: You've been listening to Let's Talk About Weed, the Cannabomers podcast with Thomas J. For more on medicinal cannabis for baby boomers, visit us at cannaboomers.com.